Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. So good to see you here today, and thank you for choosing our church to be the place where today you can start and continue your relationship with Jesus Christ. And may, it is our prayer that today as we, as we worship together and as we study together that you experience a personal, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We've been in this series that we've titled Selfless. And um, I read the story about this uh, lady who was living for a long time in the same house in her neighborhood. And she realized that slowly the neighborhood had been going from bad to worse. And she realized that there was something that needed to be done. And as she was observing and walking around her neighborhood, he observed what was going on. The streets were getting dirty and uncared for and the lawns were, were getting dirty and the grass and growing weeds. And she said, well, there's one thing that we need for sure and we need money in this community to help it and fix it. So what she began to do was to start a campaign of fundraising. And after a while, her endeavors had taken her to raise $185,000. And what she did with the money was that she moved to another neighborhood. See, we live with a struggle in our hearts. And it is the struggle between being selfish and being Selfless. In fact, our culture is teaching us that we have to be selfish. See, we are the only country, the only country that on Thursday gives thanks for the things that we have. And on Friday, we elbow the other people so that they don't get what we want. Because it is part of who we are as selfish, as sinful creatures to be selfish. And therefore, it is the constant struggle that God is trying to bring us to his, his relationship with us in a selfless manner. But the culture that we live in is constantly trying to induct us into a selfish lifestyle. Today I want to talk about a very difficult topic. Perhaps it's going to be the most challenging topic in the whole series. So if you open your Bibles today, let's go to Proverbs chapter 12, I mean chapter 21, verse 26. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 26. Um, uh, you have it in your notes too, the, the notes that came in your bulletin as you, as you came into church. So Proverbs 21, verse 26 says, All day he, uh, and the context of this text is talking about the selfish, selfish man and the, and the lazy and the careless and the one that does not have an ounce of gratitude. And it says, All day long he craves and craves. That sounds like us, right? Have you ever been on Amazon or eBay? You cannot just buy one thing. And now they hook you up that if you subscribe, you get it every month. Don't get on it. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous, but the righteous. How many of you want to be righteous? Gives and does not hold back. The righteous gives and does not hold back. Back. Now let me ask you a question, family. When is the last time that you did not hold back giving? 
When is the last time that you were outrageously generous? See, our mentality of giving is based on three, one of three mindsets. And the first mindset is the bag mentality. The bag mentality. And the bag mentality says that there is never enough. Some of us have grown in this mentality. Now let me tell you that each one of these mentalities does not have to do with the kind of money that we have in our bank account. It, it is not, these mentalities are not based on the amount of money that we have. They're based on our heart. So the back mentality says there is never enough. And some of us grew with this mentality, grew up with this mentality, perhaps because of the history of our family, perhaps of what our parents went through, and we grew up like this. You see, the people of Israel, in the time of the prophet Haggai, they had gone through a period of time where they began to mistrust God. See, God had promised that they will be protected, that they will be cared for. The only requirement was for them to put God first. Simple, right? Verse 6, Haggai chapter 1 says, You have sown much and harvested little. So they worked a lot, but they collected very little result. You eat, but you never have enough. Apparently they had a lot of teenagers. You drink, but you never have your fill. You close yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages... Does so to put them into a bag with holes. This is the bag mentality. It doesn't matter how much we have. It doesn't matter how much we keep. It doesn't matter how much there is. It is never enough. See, most Americans, we live in this way. That is why we can't get ahead. That is why we're always struggling. That is why... Ten years ago, actually 18 years ago, in the year 2000, the average debt of the American household was $8,000. Today, the average debt of the American household is $15,000. And we say, you know, when we come to, the, to, to, to these ideas and, and, and the principles of giving, we say, well, I would give, but I don't have enough. See... The back mentality says money does not grow on trees. The back mentality says, well, if I give, I'm going to have to go without cable or Netflix or my Starbucks. And we think about someone else with this back mentality and we say, well, it's because they get all the breaks. It's because they just work too hard. Or the richer gets richer. Have you ever um, thought about the seat that you prefer when you fly? How many of you are window seat, seat people? Okay, how many of you are aisle? I'm an aisle guy. How many of you are middle seat? What do you do when you have a Nile or your window seat that you prefer and somebody's there? What, how do you react? 
Uh, excuse me. I believe you are on my seat. Have you ever said, you know what? I gladly take the middle. See, I, I think that when we approach situations like that in that way, we're saying, you know, this is my bag and you're taking it. This belongs to me. You know that all seats cost the same money, right? See, Judas, the disciple, had a bag mentality. He had a bag mentality. In fact, Luke chapter 7 tells us a story about this woman who came to the house where Jesus was teaching and healing. And when this woman came, uh, the gospel writer describes her as, as a sinful woman. She comes in the house and she kneels at the feet of Jesus. And what she does is that she breaks a glass of perfume. And according to the narrative, says that this perfume was worth a year of wages. So there was a lot of money that was invested into this endeavor. And what this woman does is that she breaks the glass and with her hair, she uses it like a brush and grabs the perfume and anoints the feet of Jesus. Now what is happening here is that once the glass, the glass is broken and the smell begins to travel all over the room, all over the house, Judas takes notice of the event. And he says, oh my goodness, what a waste. We could have sold that perfume and given it to the poor. Now let me tell you, family, that Jesus, I mean Judas was in charge of something. He was in charge of the bag. And as being in charge of the bag, what he wanted was to have more money in the bag. Later we learned that Judah sold Jesus for 30 coins of silver. Because he wanted more in the bag. A bag mentality does not make us better. It just keeps us the way we are or makes us worse. Because the bag is never enough. Never enough. See, living with a bag mentality doesn't make us happy. It makes us bitter. Because we complain when we have a bag mentality of the things that we don't have. And we complain about others because of what they have. And all we do is cutting ourselves short from the blessings that God is willing to give us. Like the people of Israel in the time of Haggai. So that is the bag mentality. The second mentality, the second mindset is the basket mentality. The basket mentality says there is enough, but just enough. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 2, you see the, the, the first five books of, of the Bible, especially from, from Leviticus to Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are learning to be the people of God. They had been for generations in Egypt in a land where they didn't know anything but the crack of the whip. So now as they come into the desert and route to the promised land, they need to learn to be the people of God. And one of the things that they needed to learn was to get out of the back mentality that there was never enough because they were slaves. And now they need to learn to trust and God for their provision. And God 
time after time was showing them how he was willing to provide when they thought nobody, nothing was available, he was willing to provide more than what, what they needed. He showed it with the manna, with the bread every day. He showed it with the water coming off the rock. He showed it time after time. Even when they wanted meat, God gave them enough meat that was coming out of their noses. Just think about that the next time you want meat. Um, so in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 2 it says, And all these blessings, now God is giving them a list of all the blessings that they will receive. Now, let's be honest. All of us want blessings, right? But the promises, and this is the beautiful thing about this. The same promises that God gave the people of Israel are given to us. Okay, to believe it. Now, and all these blessings, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Now, I don't know what it is to be, well, let me tell you, put it in a different way. Is it nice to receive blessings? Wouldn't it be nicer to be overtaken by blessings? Now, check this out. All these blessings shall be, come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Simple thing. If you obey. Now, life works in a way that is very interesting. And if there's one thing that we cannot ex escape, is the law of act, cause, and effect. Whatever actions we perform, they will bring results. Whatever decisions we make, there will be consequences. We cannot escape that. And God is saying that if we obey Him, if we choose to obey Him, if we choose to that, that be our, 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 our life experience, then we'll not just have enough, we'll have more than enough. See, their national obedience was going to be rewarded by an extraordinarily and international prosperity. Because the people of Israel were going to be blessed. God wanted to use them in such a way that they would be a focus of blessing to the world. They were to be the evangelists to the world. Unfortunately, family, they wanted to keep all the blessings for themselves. But see, there's another law. What you keep, what you keep is all you have. Verse 5, Deuteronomy, 20, Deuteronomy 28. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. So what he's saying is here is that whatever you need, I will provide. But only one thing you need to remember, to put me first. Now... In the Gospels, we find again, Jesus confirms this experience, this, confirms this principle. And, and in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says these words. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, give, and it shall be given to you. See, it doesn't say keep, and I will give you. It doesn't say hoard, and I'm going to bless you. It doesn't say that. It says give. And then I will give you more. 
is the cause and effect. And they continue saying, uh, give and I will give to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you use it will be measured back to you. Is the cause and effect. Now, let me ex the only way that I can ex explain this text in a visual way, this the shakedown, pressed together, running over. There was a time in my life when I loved Slurpees. You know what Slurpee is? You should all know where Slurpee is. Okay. So at this store that is known by two numbers, Okay, now you know what a Slurpee is. Uh, you go, and, and when you get a Slurpee, the Slurpee is like an aftermarket icy. So you go, oh, now, ah, now I know what it is. So, so you go, you go, and you get a cup, whatever size you want, right? Smaller, the larger one. I don't even know how many ounces, but I, if you were smart, you get the big one. So... So you get the big one, right? You got sugar enough for two years with one of those cups. And what happens is that is when you get the cup and you fill it up with whatever flavor or flavors you want. You can mix it up. So, so you fill it up. And once the material gets to the rim, the savvy Slurpee buyer presses it down. You lift the cup. You hit the table. And the material compresses and goes to the bottom. So once you press it down, you add some more. Now, once it gets to the rim the second time, this is when you shake it together. You get the lid, and the lid is a round, semicircle, spheric lid. You put it on top, and now you fill it through the little hole on the lid. Once it gets to the top, you press it down again, you shake it together, and then you fill it up again until it overflows. Now I'm preaching. God is saying, family, God is saying, see, this is what happened. This is the way I want to bless you. See, I just don't want to bless you superficially. I just don't want to give you a little bit. I want to give you blessings in a way that when you learn to give out of your heart, when you escape the back mentality, when you escape the basket mentality, I will give you more than what you ever expected. Because those blessings that I want to give you, I'm going to press them down, shake them together, and make them overflow. In the Old Testament, there's the story of a lady who was a widow. And this widow is known, uh, we don't have a name, just the widow of Zarephath. And this widow in, in, in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17 appears in, 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 during the time when the people of Israel were enduring a great famine. The biblical narrative tells us that this woman was in the last part. Of whatever was left in her basket. She had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And at that moment, when she was collecting sticks to make the wood to bake the last bread for her and her son, 
the prophet Elijah rings the bell. And as she rings the bell, she looks at her phone and sees that it's Elijah outside. And she's like, okay. So she opens the door, comes in. This is Elijah. This is it. We don't have any more. This is the last ounce of oil. This is the last cup of flour. We're just going to make last bread, eat it, and then wait until we die. And Elijah says, that's so cool. Just give me first some of that bread. Did I tell you what Elijah did for a living? He was a prophet of God. You might think, well, a prophet of God? Come on, be a little merciful. Have some compassion. You're supposed to share. But see, what Elijah was there to do was not to share, was to teach a lesson. That even when we have a basket mentality that this is all we have left, God is still willing to give us more than what we need. When we put God first. So Elijah tells her, you know, this is so cool, but you got to put God first. And, uh, well, I'm his representative, so give me some of that bread. Now, this woman had a decision to make. Well, Elijah, you know, that's so cool. I really like you. I mean, uh, you're such a nice prophet with your glasses and all, you know. But this is the thing. Uh, This is our last. And my son and I will have it. But thank you, though, for visiting that bread would indeed, would have been their last. She chose to bake the bread and give it to Elijah. Why? Because in the past, they had experienced that, that the word of Elijah came from God. And whatever Elijah did and said was from God. And if God said, you got to trust God at this moment and give me some of that bread and God will provide, they had witnessed, they had experienced, they had been part of the story of Israel when this prophet spoke and did according to God. In fact, they knew that Elijah called fire from heaven and fire came down. So if Elijah asked God to bring fire from heaven, Elijah could ask God to bring food and God would bring it. Because they trusted on the word coming from the mouth of Elijah as being God's word. So they chose to give Elijah the bread. And it says that the oil and the flour never run out from their basket. In the New Testament, Jesus speaking to thousands of people who were hungry. The disciples come to Jesus, and we talked a little bit about this story a few weeks ago. They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, these people are hungry. They've been listening to you for a day. We have to send them home so they can eat. And Elijah, and Jesus tells the disciples, you feed them. And they go, uh, we can, we wish, but Costco is really far and there's no 7-Eleven open here. Oops, I said it. So, well, figured it out. So the disciples go and ask people, and there's a kid who in his basket, he has a couple of tuna sandwiches. Some breads and some fish. 
this kid gives his basket to the disciples. In all logic, that basket should not have been enough even to feed the disciples and Jesus. But see, God does not work. God is not constrained to logic. God is constrained by our ability to trust in Him. This kid gave his basket and Jesus fed everybody and gave back 12 baskets. So Jesus not only used that little basket to be enough, he made it enough to be more than enough. And that takes us to the third mentality. And this is the mentality of the barn. And the barn mentality tells us there is always more than enough. There is always way more than enough. In Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Let's read that again in case you missed it. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. If you give me to choose, what do I want filled with plenty? My bag, my basket, or my barn? Are you with me? Then your barns will be filled with plenty. That means overflow. And your vats, we don't have vats anymore, but we have refrigerators, will be bursting with Soy milk. <laughs> so now, now, this is a principle, and the principle is this. God is saying that he wants us to put him first. Wasn't the same thing that he asked in the time of Haggai? Wasn't that the same thing that he asked in the time of the people of Israel in the desert? Wasn't that the, the same thing that he asked from Adam and Eve? And it will be the same thing that he asked, that he will ask for us in the end time. To put God first. Now, when, how do we put God first? Well, we put God first with the things that we have. See, when we put God first we, and we give him the first of our time every day, we call that devotion. When we put our children first, we call that dedication. When we put our gifts first to God, we call that ministry. And when we put our money to God first, we call that tithe. Exodus 13.2 says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. All the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, and of beast, is mine. Now this is quite interesting. Because see... The people of Israel were shepherds. In fact, when they went into Egypt, they were shepherds. And after that, they were shepherds. David was a shepherd. So this is what happened. One of the things about being a shepherd and tending flocks is that you never knew how many lambs you were going to have during the year. You didn't know. Could be one. Could be a hundred. So... What God is telling the people is, see, what's going to happen is that your firstborn, the very first one, 
you are going to give it to me. And the way that it was going to be given to God was that that first lamb that was to be born out of the flock that they were taking care of was going to be sacrificed. But the lamb was going to be sacrificed because the lamb was a clean animal. Let me remind you of what a clean animal was. In Leviticus 11, God says of all the clean animals that we could eat, right, the ones that Chew the cud, split hoof, right? So the lamb was a clean animal. So because he was a clean animal, the very first one of the, of the flock that was born needed to be sacrificed to God. But then he says, if you have a donkey, a donkey and his firstborn, the donkey that is firstborn, you are not going to sacrifice it to me because the donkey is a Unclean animal. So what you're going to do is that you're going to break its neck. Now, if, if you're going to be awake for five minutes this morning, this is the time. The Bible says that our nature, our nature is sinful. We are born with tendencies to sin. So we are born as unclean. We need to be cleansed. We need to be redeemed. God sent his first, the Lamb of God, to cleanse us from our sin. He didn't send his last. He didn't send his second. He sent his first. So that we could be cleansed from our sin. So what God is saying, see, now that you're cleansed, now that you realize how much I love you, what I need from you is that you understand how much I love you and all the talents that I've given you, all the abilities that I've given you, all the intelligence that I've given you, all the strength that I've given you, all the time that I've given you, I just want the first of it. So we have a decision to make. A hundred percent without God or ninety percent with God. Now, why? Why did that Israelite needed to kill the donkey. Why did that Israelite need it to sacrifice that lamb? In the long run, those animals could have been helpful in the work. Could have been sold for something. The point that God wanted to teach them was that, see, when you trust in me, I will give you more than what those animals could have produced. So what God is trying to teach these Israelites at that time, is that they needed to learn to trust on the ability that God has to give more of the things that we cannot see yet. But Jesus went even farther ahead. And he says, giving tithe is being responsible. 
giving offerings is being selfish. I mean selfless. Let me say that again. Now that you're awake. Giving tithe is being responsible with God. Giving offerings is being selfless. God is saying that He doesn't want responsible people in heaven. He wants selfless people. Proverbs 21, 26 says, All day long, you can put your name there. All day long, craves and craves, but the righteous, or maybe put your name there, gives and does not hold back. Our mindset, our mindset dictates the amount of blessings that we want. But let me tell you something. Blessings do not always come in the way of money. Blessings oftentimes come in the way of health. They come in the way of lack of trouble. Sometimes problems come in the way of opening doors. Sometimes come in relationships. Sometimes blessings come in ways that we do not expect because God works in that way. God is saying, when you open your mind to the barn, to a big mindset, you learn to understand, to understand my mind. Because see, our God is a God that is not limited. Our God is not a God that only sees the moment and one time. Our God sees eternity and He sees the big picture. Our God has a heart so big, so big, that is full of grace and mercy. And He's willing, He's ready to give in to give all those things to us. But it is our perspective, it is our mentality that is preventing God from opening the barn. In fact, about money, we read often, the prophet Malachi says, when you give, I will open the windows of heaven until it overflows. God is willing to fill our barns, all of our barns. Don't lose that opportunity by keeping a little bag. Because when we allow God to work in our lives, when we trust Him, when we, when we become selfless, when we experience that, we truly learn that all these blessings are instruments to help us to love one another and to love the ones that need the most.